Just when you thought it was safe to go looking for a podcast, you stumbled across us. Fantastic. You're in the right place. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you found the number one podcast in all the land. Okay, just Mississippi. But we're going with that until documentation proves otherwise. Now strap in for the journey from the lower levels of Ridgewood Recording Studios. We are World of Wild. Enjoy. All right, everybody, back again for another episode today. This is William here at World of Wallet. Guys, I told you when, especially this current season, we were going to go in a lot of different directions. Uh, today is uh, one of those. It's going to be a hard left turn or right turn, however you want to look at it. Uh, the guest I have on today is a gentleman named Christian De La Huerta. He is an author, a public figure. He is also a spiritual leader, and he is a notable leader in the LGBTQ movement. Now, De La Horta was born in Havana, Cuba, and he's the son of a prominent uh, psychiatrist from there in Cuba. Um, His family left Cuba when he was 10 years old, and he spent the rest of his childhood and early adulthood in the middle of Georgia, in uh, Milledgeville, Georgia, and then also in Miami, Florida. Uh, He is a graduate in psychology from Tulane University, and he lived in San Francisco for 20 years. Uh, After two decades, he decided he wanted to move back to South Florida, and that's where he resides now. Now, like I said, he is an author. Uh, Two of his most notable works is Coming Out Spiritually, The Next Step, as written in 1999, and one of his newest projects, Awakening the Soul of Power, is 2020, was the release date on that. Now, he, um, he does quite a few things. He's a TED Talk guy. Um, he focuses on personal transformation. He's, uh, like I said, an active public speaker, seminar leader, group facilitator. He uh, is a consultant on all of those subjects. He also uh, founded Soulful Power, which is a South Florida-based organization that hosts spiritual uh, breathwork retreats, workshops, and offers coaching services. Uh, Soulful Power has also offered remote uh, retreats to locations including Hawaii, California, New Mexico, Peru, China, southern France, and Egypt. Now, of course, um, COVID kind of, as we discussed it, COVID kind of knocked that out for a while, but they're kind of getting back on track with that. Like I said, he came to to national prominence uh, in 1999 with with his first book coming out spiritually, The Next Step. Uh, Guys, we talk about all that. We talk about his upbringing we talk about everything that he's trying to get accomplished and um you know although from a personal standpoint i'm i'm not uh it's not that i'm not a supporter of uh, some of the things that he prescribes to um but like i said i've I've entered into this podcast with an open mind because i want to hear viewpoints from all types of people and um you know Christian coming on and me having an opportunity to talk to him, um, it actually was a pretty delightful conversation. Um, uh, one thing that I, this podcast is teaching me is that, uh, you know, the more and more I interact with folks, the more and more, not that I, 
I just become um, a little bit more accepting of, of people. Uh, I see them for actually who they are and not, not some label attached to them. And uh, I think after you hear about our conversation today uh, with Mr. De La Huerta, I think you're going to uh, maybe feel the same. We'll see. After the break, guys, uh, we'll be back with my guest, uh, Mr. Christian De La Huerta. Hey, guys, your host, William, here. Quick question. Are you a First and Second Amendment kind of person? Because if you are, our new affiliate partner, Tactical Brotherhood, is your place. If you're looking for ammo, guns, or gear, check out the link in the episode notes and enter code PATRIOT15 at checkout to receive that 15% discount. Also, Tactical Brotherhood, veteran-owned company. Now, back to the episode. Okay, everybody, we're back from the break, and as promised today, my guest, uh, Ted, uh, Ted Talk speaker and author, uh, Christian De La Huerta. Christian, did I butcher that name? I practiced it really a lot before we started, so how did that come out? You did, you did great, William. Thanks like, so much, and thanks for having me on the show. appreciate I, being the opportunity being here with you. Glad that you can make time for me. You're a pretty big, guy, a big deal because uh, we were talking before we got started. You happen to be best friends with Gloria Estefan of Miami Sound Machine fame. And for a lot of my listeners that are around my age, she was one of our big crushes back in the day. So I, I'm glad to see that Gloria could <laughs> break away from you today, being your bestie long enough to talk to me. So. <laughs> well, well, to to leap from the, I mean, she did give me an incredible endorsement of the book. That's true, but I don't really know her personally. Oh my gosh! See, we practiced this before we got started, guys. I told him from this point on, they're best friends. He can't even run with the storyline. So, all right, let's no, let's. I can't, I can't. I can't be less than truthful. I understand. Well, first of all, let's jump right into it. Um, you are a uh, pretty established individual. I guess that would be a, a fair assessment. Uh, you are an author. Uh, you also are a TED Talk uh, speaker. Uh, what all? First of all, where does the Christian lo, the Christian de Warta, Where does that story start? Like where, from from as far back as you need to go to kind of get us to this moment? Where does Christian begin? If you want to go back to the beginning, I was born in in Cuba, um, so I actually lived in a communist country for first 10 years of life, you know? And so it's interesting. I guess what's interesting about that is that here I am writing about what it means to live a heroic life and, and personal empowerment. When, as you know, in a, in a communist totalitarian dictatorial regime to be speaking about personal empowerment is, is, is funny. It's ridiculous because there is no such thing. Um, so, but, but, but it's a, but it's an interesting journey because one of the, one of the things that happened, I'm really grateful for having that experience. Um, like we had a TV, but there was nothing worth watching. So instead we grew up reading and I'm really grateful for that because when we came to the States and, you know, I didn't speak a word of English, but because I had this relationship with books and with words is I knew how to learn. I knew how to teach myself. And, and it's really sad to me to see so many of the kids these days, my own you know, nieces and nephews with their heads like in the screen, in the computers and the phones um, and missing out on so much of life. Like we, we grew up playing outside and inventing our own games. We hardly had any toys because, you know, there was very little to go around in Cuba. Um, and, and so, but one of the, you know, going back to the growing up reading, 
I was a good student. William, I, was, I had a, when we came, you know, it took me a couple of years to learn English, but I had a pretty much a 4.0 in, in, in high school, except for one B in my, very, in my last year. And I didn't set out to do this purposely, but looking back on it, I know that I sabotaged my GPA because there is no way on earth that I could have gotten in front of a, of a room, uh, an auditorium filled, filled with hundreds and hundreds of people to deliver the valedictorian speech. There's no way. And, and but what's empowering about that story, I and mean, it's sad that I did that, that I sabotaged my, my grade point average, but it's worth the lesson because flash forward to today, I speak all over the world. I, I've spoken at dozens of universities on the TEDx stage, as you said. Um, and so that I know, like with the teachings that I share in this book and, and in my retreats and workshops, all that stuff from, from childhood, all the traumas, the stuff that our old fears, the obstacles that we allowed to hold us back, um, all that stuff can be healed and it can be cleared and it can be transcended. Okay, where are you based out of now? Well, today, you know, I lived in, in Northern California for many years, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm back in Miami now where my family okay. uh, settled. That's where you guys, when you came from Cuba, that's where you guys landed in Miami. That's where you grew up in that area. Well, you know, we, at first we did three years in, in Milledgeville, Georgia. It's a small town mm -hmm. in, the, in the middle of Georgia, um, you know, which, as you can imagine, didn't take kindly to foreigners. I grew up feeling different, like there was something uh, wrong with me. Um, and, but, but it was one of the few places that was known for its psychiatric hospital, um, had one of the largest in the world, and it was one of the few places where the Cuban psychiatrist, my dad was a psychiatrist, uh, could practice as they were getting their licenses uh, here in the U.S. That probably was quite a culture shock, coming from communist regime Cuba to the middle of Redneckville in Georgia. So, and see, I can say that because I am from Mississippi. I am a I'm a proud redneck, so I can say that. So, all right. So, um, you talk you you talk about growing up outside. You didn't let electronic devices uh, control your your life. I'm kind of the same way. I did. I did watch quite a bit of television and movies, but it wasn't like like the kids are today. I didn't live in front of a screen like they do. Uh, I I did read quite a bit when I was coming up. I was big on computers, and when people used to ask me all the time, "Well, what what did y'all play back when you were my age?" and I said, "Outside." Our parents would push us out the door and lock the screen door behind us and tell us, you know. You know, it's summertime, go out and get some sunshine or whatever. So so I know exactly what you're talking about there. So yeah. all the reading, and, and you know, you're an extremely intelligent guy. Uh, you said it took you a little while to pick up on the English language. Is that where the writing came from? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, the I mean, I, I never thought that I was going to write a book. I never, I never wanted to be in the public eye either. Uh, so the, my first book 20 years ago was actually approached by, by a publishing house, uh, one of the New York publishers, and, and it, was, I, it was a friend who worked for the company, and so he approached me about writing my first book, and, and I had a simultaneous, yes, yikes, it was actually yeah. another word that, that's in that, you know, it's a four-letter word, uh, but let's say yikes, um, because that was that part of me that was just 
you know, just terrified. Like, I, who, who am I to write a book? And what, who do I think I am? You know, writing a book, I didn't want to be in the public eye. I'm, I'm basically introverted. And, and so this was a stretch for me. Um, but at the same time, I felt like, like, you know, like I was being anointed with the shoulder, I mean, the, the sword to the shoulder kind of thing. Like I've, I've always had a sense of mission that that is true. I always had a desire to, to make a difference, um, to, to, to serve humanity, to help other people, um, to serve God, as I've understood that at different points in my life. And I know that you were a, a youth pastor for, for many years. So, um, you know, like, I can bring up concepts like that with you. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, so it was that, it was that sense of mission, that sense of service that got me through my fears. So how in the world does a, a self-professed introvert, a proud introvert, I might add, how do you go from there to an author, a TED talk speaker? Uh, you do workshops and retreats. How, how do we get there? Like was it a light switch moment? One day you just woke up and the light, you know, the, the flip the switch. How, how does that work? That's funny. Well, well, the underlying driver was that sense of mission. Um, so, so he, but he, but of course it was a long process. It didn't happen overnight. So for example, so it's so public speaking, like somehow I, I managed to get through uh, college without ever having to get up in front of a room and speak. Like I was okay from, you know, from my desk, like I could raise a hand, my hand and answer a question. But if you put me in front of a room, I clammed up, I just couldn't do it. And yet, because I had this sense of mission, I knew that I had to get over that. And so after college, I signed up for a, for a public speaking course, which I hated, detested it because for 14 weeks, I'd have to get up every Thursday and deliver three two minute speeches. And so come Monday, I was already losing, I was already angsting about it. I was losing sleep. I was worrying about what am I gonna say? But you know, but what happened? You know, like after seven, eight, nine weeks, like it stopped being such a big deal. Um, and so 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 later, much later, I learned about this model, like, like, you know, there's, because we have a lot of misunderstanding. We think that to be fearless means that we don't feel fear. And that's not the case. Fearlessness means that we no longer allow the fear to hold us back. Right. So we feel the fear and we override it and we, and we do it anyway. And so, so there's a book titled that, you know, which I didn't know until much later, but it's called feel the fear and do it anyway. It's by Susan Jeffers. And here it is in, in, 30 seconds. Imagine concentric circles. So the center circle represents our comfort zone. This is where we're comfortable now, you know, being with ourselves, being with each other, being in the world. Every time we take a little step, right, and give a two-minute speech or whatever it is, but we push ourselves beyond that comfort zone. We place ourselves in a little bit of risk or a lot. We get to the decide, you know, how, whether it's a baby step or a huge leap. But every time we stretch beyond the confines of that comfort zone and we place ourselves in a little bit of discomfort, we're stretching our boundaries. So, so, you know, but so if we do that, if we do a little stretch, a little baby step even once a week, at the end of 52 weeks, our comfort zone is like way out there. And that's how we overcome fear. You know, that's how we no longer uh, give our power away to, to our fears. I'm still trying to get over the idea that you went all the way through college and never had to take an oral communications or a, 
uh, as we refer to it here in the Deep South, a speech class, because uh, I, I remember know. that being my very first real chance to stand in front of somebody. And I remember the very first time I stood in front of a group, it was like you were talking about, it was a very short period of time. It seemed like an eternity. Like I could <laughs> literally feel my heart beating in my back. It was, you know, it felt like my heart was going to beat out of my chest. And that's where I kind of got beyond that point of fear you're talking about, where you push beyond it. So yes. let's, uh, first of all, let's quickly talk about the workshops and, and other projects that you offer. Give my listeners a little taste of what they're, uh, they consist of. Yeah, you know, I've been doing retreats and workshops for the last uh, 30, over 30 years now, of course, before the pandemic. Right. Um, I haven't been able to have any in a year and a half. Uh, but, you know, I have different things. So sometimes they're weekends. Sometimes it's a day-long workshop. Sometimes I take a group for a week, you know, to beautiful places in the world, but always with a spiritual theme. So I call them, it's it's sort of like if a retreat and a vacation got married and had a child, that would be this this hybrid where we do a little bit, we do a few things that are touristic. We'll go to beautiful places like Hawaii or New Mexico or Southern France or, or Peru or Egypt. And so we do some of that. And then we also do retreat stuff, you know, the transformational stuff. My, the retreats have different themes. Some of them are on relationships. Like how do we, how do we have relationships that have a chance of working? Uh, some of them are about life purpose. Like what are we really doing here at, at a soul level, at a mission level? And how do we stop playing small and, and no longer allow ourselves to, to hide our light under a bushel? Um, and then personal empowerment. Like how do we step into power? in a way that's not about hierarchy, control, fear, force, domination, that doesn't require that we push anybody down, step on them in order for us to, to feel powerful, which, as you know, is the theme of this last book, this book that I just released. It's all, it's a, it is also part of a series called the Hero Series. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, the, series, the series is called Calling All Heroes. Calling All Heroes, correct. Yeah. All right, so um, quick question on this theme of hero. First of all, what what is your definition of hero? Well, you know, you know, um, that's one of the ways in which I think, you know, the pandemic has served us is it's that it's forced us to stretch what that word means. Like before the pandemic, I think most of us, we heard hero, we, we would either think of, of a superhero with a cape, um, you know, and that landing, um, the way they land on their knee kind of thing. Um, the, the three-point landing, mm-hmm. uh, or we might think of like a first responder, a firefighter, uh, pol- you know, policemen, warriors, you know, who, who put their, somebody who puts their life at risk right. for the sake of somebody else or for the sake of a larger cause. The pandemic has forced us to expand that. So now we include our, our medical professionals, our doctors, our, our nurses, our respiratory therapists. And I think we even include our delivery people and grocery store clerks who literally, you know, made some real sacrifices in, in the quality of their lives and sometimes even put their lives at risk for the, for the sake of the rest of us, to keep the rest of us fed and provided for. So, so the series asked the question, well, what about the rest of us? Like, what does it mean to live a heroic life when, you know, we, we may not have the horse hitched outside and the armors and the demons to slay, except the ones in our own heads? And so this first book is about personal empowerment, like how do we step into power in a different way? The second one um, is about relationships. Um, like Again, how do, how do we do relationships consciously? 
um, in a way that they can actually have a chance of working. Um, and then the third one is going to be on, on life purpose and, and leadership, but from a, a conscious spiritual perspective. Awakening the Soul of Power. That's the title of the book that you, or that we're, the current book we're talking about, not the second one in the series that you just mentioned. Um, from what I've read so far about you, and uh, you, you sent me uh, an ebook uh, copy of the book, and I, was have, I got an opportunity to read some of it. And then from our conversation to this point, how autobiographical is this actual book? Well, there's a lot. I put a lot of, I used a lot of stories in there. Um, and, and I certainly, the journey of empowerment was, is a very personal one for me. It's like I, everything that I write about is stuff that I have practiced, is stuff that I, that I still practice in my life. So it's not just, you know, hypothetical stuff I learned in a, in a book or a workshop. It's stuff that I, that I use in my own life and that I know has worked for me. So it's the kind of, the kind of, um, experiences like the how I overcame the fear of public speaking that we were just talking about and and how I went from um you know from self-doubt self-hatred even to having a sense of, of self you know acceptance self-love self-empowerment um, so so it's not an autobiography I also use a lot of examples from people who, who've done one of my retreats I bring I use examples from you know from from pop culture and superhero movies um, and Star Wars and that kind of stuff, just just to make it a little bit more interesting and illustrate examples, um, and because it, it is kind of woven around the hero's journey, but but it's like it, yes, it, it it is very personal to me. All right, so this book, who is it geared for? Like, yeah, I mean, you're writing it, you're a man, and you 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 have all these life experiences. Are you writing it as an as kind of a um, kind of a, a book of preparation for all other men, or is this book targeted literally for everybody? A really good question, William. It's it's for everybody, definitely, because we all struggle with 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 you know conflict about power. Um, we all have an ambivalent relationship to power, and I wouldn't you know, maybe I shouldn't say all, but most of us do. Um, you know, we're conflicted about power. Part of us wants it, part of us doesn't. Part of us is afraid of it. And um, I think we're, what we're afraid of is that if we really step into all our power, that other people wouldn't be able to handle it and that we might end up rejected and alone. So, so we stuff ourselves. Um, we also fear that we might abuse it um, and um, cause harm to others and to our relationships. And no wonder. All we got to do is turn on the news on any given day or glance through the headlines to witness at least one abuse of power. And then add to that the fact that we've been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing, that power is negative. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so what good-hearted person wants to be corrupted? And, and so, but what they didn't tell us is that that quote about power corrupts, um, Lord Acton, the one who said it, was speaking specifically about political power, not personal power, which is what we're talking about. And so when you add to that mix, the fact that we, we've all run away from our emotions, somewhere along the way, somebody had the brilliant idea that the emotions were weakness. It's like, wait a minute, emotions aren't strength, emotions aren't weakness. They're just energies that are coursing through our body. They're not bad, they're not good, they're not bad. Depends on how we express it. Uh, express them, you know, they have a positive or a negative effect. Um, 
So when you put all that stuff into a mix, we hate conflict, we avoid confrontation. What happens is that we end up giving our power away, our inherent, innate power that nobody can give to us, nobody can take away. We are the only ones who get to give it away. And, and the sad part, William, is that we give it away for kind of lame reasons. Like we, we give our power away, we say yes when inside we feel no, we settle for less, um, we play small for an illusion of security, for a false sense of security, and for crumbs, for morsels of pseudo-love. And, and so we all do that, but the book has a particular message for women. Um, stemming from my belief that the empowerment, empowerment of women is the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world. It's, it's not to idealize women. It's not to put women up on a pedestal. Women also abuse power, for sure. But it's because as a world, as a species, that we've, we've had this imbalance between the masculine and the feminine for far too long. And I believe that when women are in 50% of power in this world, we'll have a very different relationship to war and poverty and hunger and, and social justice and how we treat the environment and to all of it. And so that's, that's what, when I think about strategically, what, what do we need to do? What is one thing that we could impact that then is going to impact everything else? It is that. And, and let me add here too, that even that without minimizing the price that women have paid for the, for the imbalance of power uh, and the lack of equity in the last several thousand years, that men also pay a price for, for this, you know, you know, call it patriarchal power structure that, that's hierarchical, call it toxic masculinity, call it whatever you want to, but, but there is a price to be paid for that. And so let's look at a couple of num numbers that, that are important for us to know as men in particular. Um, the rate of suicide in the U.S. is way higher among men. Like men commit suicide four times as frequently as women do. In fact, 70% of the suicides in the U.S. are committed by middle-aged white men, which, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's pretty clear that still hold the majority of power. That group still holds the majority of power in the world. What's up with that? Um, and then let's look at longevity. You know, women outlive men in this country by five years. Globally, by seven years. What's up with that? And, and so, so the system doesn't work for men either. And, and I think part of what's going on there is that because we've got these limiting, limited, um, kind of twisted definitions of what it means to be a man, you know, we walk around like, like uncaring, unfeeling robots, and, and there's a price to pay for that. You know, what, like we were talking about the energies before, what used to be spiritual teaching that everything is, is energy, it's like now we know from quantum physics that it's true. Everything is energy. That means our bodies are energy. That means the emotions are energy. We know from physics, too, energy cannot be destroyed. So just because we don't allow ourselves to feel something and we suppress it, doesn't mean it goes away. Right? It gets stuck. It gets stored in the tissues of the body, those energies, those emotional energies, too. And after years and years and decades and a lifetime of suppressing emotions, we walk around with layers upon layers upon layers of repressed emotional crap. And here we are trying to have a relationship in the present, and all of it is getting filtered through that lifetime of repressed emotional crap. It's like, yikes. I don't know how any relationships can actually work because we haven't been taught how to clear ourselves from, from this 
repressed emotions and how to approach relationships in a healthy way. And so those energies have to come out one way or another. So what happens is we repress, we repress, we repress, and then the next unfortunate one says something to us the wrong way and boom, volcanic eruption. Um, and we cause harm. We do cause harm to our relationships um, because it wasn't warranted, right? That, that volcanic eruption, which just because we've been repressing it for so long, it was like the, the straw, you know, the final straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing. It, or we suppress, we suppress, we suppress. That energy has to come out one way or another. So it starts seeping out and showing up in the body as physical symptoms, cancer, heart attacks, stomach ulcers. And, and so we've got to get this. We've got, we've got to get understand um, about our emotions. We've got to learn how to feel and, and learn how to communicate those emotions. We've got to let them out in a healthy way. And it's possible to do that courageously and gracefully. And we also got to get cleared up about the, our relationship to power because the message of the book is that there is a way that we can step into power that doesn't require that we be corrupted, that we abuse it, or that we push anybody down, right? That, that there is a way to do this, and that's what the book gets into. Well, I've got, I have one question, one last question I want to ask you, but I've got to sneak this one in first because right. we, we, you, you were so eloquently describing uh, something that everybody needed to hear, what you, what you just said everybody that listens to my show needed to hear. So... It's always been said that the best leaders first have to be the best the best followers. So not only this series, but this book specifically. When when we're talking about what insights that this book could provide, what I call real team leaders. You know, anybody can be assigned to lead a team. I'm talking about real team leaders. Those that understand the concept of being a leader because they have first been a follower. What, what kind of insights does this book, um, what, is, what does it offer to them? Yeah, and, and that's the, more the focus of the third book about, about purpose and leadership. But this one, you know, I get into it here too. And, and, and basically, you know, the, the more recent research on leadership, which I know you know about, is it's more about leadership as service, the servant leader, um, rather, so the, rather than this power over approach, which is what this book gets, you know, gets into rather than my way or the highway, I'm going to tell you what to do or else, um, you know, this cowboy uh, mentality, what, what we're discovering is that, that the power with approach, right? The leading by example, um, rather than by just directive um, is more effective. And, and it's not a black and white binary, right? Is there are times where that, where that clear direction here, do this. It's, it's important. It's necessary. Um, like, you know, if we're standing in front of an auditorium, you know, once we clear that fear, fear and speaking to, you know, 500 people and the fire alarm goes off, um, it's not a time to say, okay, you beautiful, wonderful people, you beautiful souls. How many of you think we should use that exit? Raise your hand. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yes. How many of you think we should use that exit? No, we don't have time for that. We just go, go, right? Go, get right. out, use that exit, right? So there are times, that's just one example, when using that kind of directive, clear approach to power and leadership is, is appropriate. Um, and there are many cases where, where the power with, because part of the part of the reason we get in, into this, this 
power struggles is that we think it's there's a it comes from a faulty assumption that there's a limited amount of power that you're having power takes away from mine right so that power is a zero-sum game and and so like when we come out that's so that's why we have this this fearful relationship that 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 we got to protect my power because if I let you share it with you, then that means I don't have it. It's like, wait a minute. If I'm standing in my power, if I'm clear about who I am and what I like and what works for me and what doesn't work for me, and I have clear boundaries in my relationships, why would I be threatened by anybody, anybody else having power? Like if something doesn't work for me, it's like, I know how to communicate that. And, and, and how do we have, I am very clear about what works for me and what doesn't. So when we're coming from that place of really knowing who we are um, and being in our own, I would say humble power, because it's that inner power that doesn't require to prove anything to anybody. Whereas the, 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 the more superficial world, you know, what I call worldly power or ego power, it comes from, from that place of fear and that there's not enough. And so it has to blow itself up to seem uh, more powerful than it actually is. Whereas what I call the inner power, the spiritual power, is humble, and it doesn't pr- need to prove anything to anybody. So think of a Gandhi, or again, Dolph from Lord of the Rings, you know, with their simple monastic robes, their sandal feet. You would never know how much power they hold until it's needed. And then, watch out. Like Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees when it was at its highest point in terms of global influence, without ever shooting a, a, a gun or landing a punch. That's power. Okay. Uh, it sounds like to me that I don't, I won't need just this book. I'm going to need all three of them. So what's, <laughs> what kind of time frame are we looking like? I, you, you said that the second book will be coming out soon. By the time this episode is airing, the second book should be almost at press or, or maybe even at that point for sale. So what kind of time frame? I mean, I hate to put a writer on the, you know, on the clock, but uh, <laughs> if, you, if you've got the I'm, second I'm one out, yeah, if you got the second one out on about the same time that this interview's running, so what, what, yeah, what are I'm we looking for? The for February of the one on relationships. I'm shooting for like Valentine's, so on February of 2022. Okay, um, and then figure you know um, another. I'm probably halfway through on that one. Um, so then figure about another year and a half for the one on, on leadership. So then three years, I will have the three volume answer <laughs> to everything, every question I'll ever have. That's what you're telling me. Yeah. You'll have, you have the, the, all the keys you need to know to free yourself and step into your power and have relationships that work and, and have a life that is filled with meaning and purpose. Okay. Before you get out of here and before you share how we can find all of this information, cause I know you have wonderful websites and, and such as that that you're going to share with us in a minute. Uh, I love to do something called the Twitter response. Where Twitter sticks to 140 characters, I actually give you 140 words. So this last question, keep it within 140 words. Let's see how good you are at this. One last question. What is the soul of power? Just start talking. I'm not gonna keep you. I'm not gonna make you stick yeah. to 140. It's, you know, it's it's that other way that we step into power, that humble power, that spiritual power, the the soulful power. It's the kind of power that doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. The power that that rather than having an agenda, 
trying to get something for itself. It's about service. It's about making a difference. And it's the kind of power that rather than blowing itself up and trying to seem bigger than it is, it's humble. And it just knows who, what it is. And it doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. It's about making a difference and making a contribution. Um, and it is actually, I think it's, it's more powerful than the way that we have tended to associate with power because, you know, the, the, the ways that we have, we tend to think of power have to do with externals, how much money people have, how much, whether they're famous, whether they're high up in some kind of hierarchy, whether it's a, a corporate, you know, corporate ladder or some kind of kind of, some kind of institution. But the thing about all those kind of powers, they're outside of us. So they're here today, gone tomorrow. Whereas the kind of power that we're talking about, soulful power, it's like it's, it's in us. Nobody can give it to us. Nobody can take it away. Like I said before, we are the only ones who can give it away. So let's cut it out and stop giving it away. Fantastic answer. Couldn't think of a better way to finish our conversation today. All right, before you get out of here, tell all of my listeners exactly. You probably have everything tied up in one little website bow somewhere. Tell them how they can reach out to you. I know you're all on social media, so share all that information. So. Yeah, you know, the book is available wherever books are sold. So you can get it at your local bookstore. They can order it order it for you or get it on Amazon. Um, in terms of reaching me, probably the best way is my website, uh, which is which is soulfulpower.com. And from there, they can access social media. Um, and for your listeners, um, uh, William, if they go to my website, soulfulpower.com, and they get on my email list, and we know how easy it is to just click unsubscribe down the road if it doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but just by getting on my email list, they'll receive a sample chapter from this book talking about what it means to live a heroic life. They'll get some power practices, which are designed to apply the teachings to our lives so that it, they don't stay at the level of information. Right? We don't need more information. We've got information overload. What we need is transformation. And that's what those teachings are designed to do, to apply them and integrate them into our lives. And then they'll also get a, a, a short recorded teaching and a guided meditation about trust, which I designed or created you know, to support people to navigate these difficult times of chaos and, and uncertainty and fear. Sounds like a fantastic deal to me. So for all my listeners, guys, you heard how to get in touch with him. You've heard what you can get if you jump on his email list. Uh, Christian, can't thank you enough. Uh, World-famous author, best friend to Gloria Stephan of Miami Sound Machine fame. And uh, and, uh, and on top of that, he's a TEDx speaker, you know, on his spare time. Uh, like I said, can't thank you enough for being on, brother. And I will, uh, I'm going to love to catch up with you in the future, uh, especially when we get a little closer to you know, the series completion, I want to get all you right. back on so we can talk about all three of them as a compilation. I would love that. And, and thank you so much, uh, William, for having me on the show. And thank you for having the show. Um, I know that you're, you know, you're, you're from reading about, you know, your audience is, is majority is, is males. Um, and, and, you know, we need, we need some help. Right? We, we need some help so that we, um, and, and so that's what I added a whole chapter about what it means to be a man in the 21st century. Like we need an upgraded software about it, on what it means to be a man. Um, so thanks again, because I know that your, your willingness to have this show um, makes a difference and it touches many lives. So thank you. Thank you, sir. Like I said, 
Okay, thank you enough for being on, and we will be catching up in the future, guaranteed. All right, thank you. Take care. And as always, guys, Wally out. Hey, guys, quick shout-out to Timothy O. Davis of Ridgewood Recording Studios. His studio offers a full line of music production, ranging from song demos and singles to fully produced albums. He focuses on excellence at every level of the recording and production process and will work with you for your project-specific needs. So remember, guys, Timothy O. Davis. Reach out to him at timothydavis.org front slash Ridgewood Studios. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner.